Shrink Wrap Radio number 787, Beatrice and Albert Sheldon discussing complex integration of multiple brain systems in therapy. And now it's time for Dr. Dave and Shrink Wrap Radio. You're on the couch again with Dr. Dave and Shrink Wrap Radio, all the psychology you need to know, and just enough to make it dangerous. It's all in your head. And now, here's your host, Dr. Dave. My guests today, Beatrice and Albert Sheldon, have researched and taught experiential dynamic psychotherapy together for 20 years throughout North America and Europe. Fifteen years ago, they conceived of a new therapeutic paradigm now called complex integration of multiple brain systems. This is a neurobiological paradigm which incorporates most of the recent neuroscience research. Today, this paradigm has become a way of being for many therapists and patients alike. Norton Publishing has recently released their book, Complex Integration of Multiple Brain Systems in Therapy, that describes and illustrates their brainchild. Now, here's the interview. Beatrice and Terry Sheldon, welcome to Shrinkwrap Radio. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. It's my pleasure to be here, too. Yeah, well, I'm really glad to have you two here. Just to give... uh, well, I can't help but notice that you two share the same last name. Uh, what can you tell us about that? <laughs> <laughs> what can we say about that? <laughs> We've been um, married for uh, 17 years, and uh, we've had the privilege of you know, working together in many capacities. Uh, this office that we're sitting in, we, we share together, and we've worked on this book together. We started doing research together uh, 15 years ago, and it just goes on. There's so much. Uh, I'll tell you, you guys guys would have to have a very strong bond to get through all of that (laughs) and still be together. Yes, and still be together and liking each other, which is... Yeah, yeah, I can only imagine. uh, (laughs) And... um, and, and so the people know a little bit about your background, uh, Beatrice, uh, you have a master's degree in education, and Terry, uh, you're an MD. Right. Yeah. But there's a lot more to the story than that, but that's just the bare bones. Right. <laughs> people can, right. can go to the uh, Shrinkraft Radio website and see a more complete biography. Mm-hmm. Now, the two of you have been working for years, uh, first developing and then applying and training folks in a system you call complex integration of multiple brain systems in therapy. 
what a mouthful that is. <laughs> and you've written a book by the same title. And, and speaking of the mouthful, you, you have made an acronym that we all can use to refer to it, which is, is SIMS. Do, am I saying that right? right. I'm saying it right. Okay, great. So maybe you can tell us the story of how all this has come about. Let me just interrupt you for one second. I have a master's degree in psychology, psychology oh. and education. Oh, okay. Thank and, you. And then a specialization after that in McGill. Okay, so that in, makes sense. In yeah. short-term dynamic psychotherapy. Yes, yes, okay. All right. All right. Do you have the answer to that question? No, you, that's your thing. <laughs> You're going to talk about that, how we got going. So, um, what uh, what we were what we were discovering during our our therapies is that we were doing a, a different therapy than our colleagues, and uh, and our patients were getting faster, better, faster, and uh, and they were able to finish therapy and not just finish therapy, but finish therapy like five years after when we will. Uh, bring them back again and see what is happening with them. They are they were in a different trajectory. They were continuing growing after therapy, which I, I, I used to be like the therapy will they'll finish therapy and then they'll come back and because they needed a booster, right? Yeah. And here our patients were just in a different trajectory, continuing success uh, in therapy also they were becoming, it was being very fast, our therapy, and they were becoming our co-therapists. And instead of being avoidant, they were being in approach. Uh, and so we were wondering, like, what is this that we are doing differently? Yeah, yeah. What do you do? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So, so we were, we started studying our videos and we will see a 50-minute video. It will take us four hours to look at the video without sound. So we we will not get distracted by the um, narrative. Yes. We'll just see the reactions of the body. And mm -hmm. what was the reaction when I get closer to, to the patient? And what, what is the physiological re reaction that is happening that they become more approach, approaching their difficulties rather than avoiding the difficulties? So, yeah. and, and then we started working with what, what is happening? What are the neurotransmitters that are happening here that, that it's, it's making this patient more... Um, uh, in more staying in their own capacity and growing faster. And we were studying all the neurophysiology and the, 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 the science of the brain to understand what is it that we are doing. Now you can pick it up from here. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were reading a lot of the up-to-date uh, neuroscience, neurobiological research and I'm just really fascinated by that, I'm wondering how can we apply this? How can we use this in our clinical work? So we started, you know, kind of experimenting with what we were learning to say, well, how does this apply? How does this apply? And so we were then using that research, you know, what we were observing and saying, how do we make sense of this? Yeah. 
and, and noticing how different patients responded differently to the same intervention, uh, where they were at in understanding their symptoms. So what became clear and clear to us is that our nervous system, our emotional nervous system operates with many different systems. And as we come to understand that, then we can be more precise both in our interventions and say, I think you know, their seeking system, their drive to learn and to grow and be curious is really inhibited. And they, whenever I invite them to be curious, they become afraid. Or another example is when I invite them to feel safe, they hold their breath. How do I make sense of that? Yeah. We started experimenting with that and said, okay, there are these different systems. And as we work with them individually, they become sources of energy, sources of uh, processing capability, wisdom, and then things really move along and, you're, and the patient becomes accessing more of their kind of innate biological capabilities, potential that has been suppressed by anxiety or depression or some trauma at a higher level in the nervous system. So we found ourselves really working with, you know, the brainstem and the peripheral nervous system, the body and engaging that in our work with our patients. And, and they would walk out the door feeling energized with yeah, their great. step. Yeah. You know, uh, my initial reaction uh, was, uh, does the world really need another psychotherapy? You know, there's so many out there and with all right. sorts, all sorts of claims. But as I got into your book, I realized that this is not, there's a way in which it's a new psychotherapy, I suppose, in terms of some of the extraordinary results uh, that you're talking about. But really, it's a grand integration, as you were talking about all the neuroscience that's out there now and other approaches to therapy that are utilizing that neuroscientific information. And um, so I think you've really got your, your hands <laughs> around something here. You, you grabbed a tiger, right? Because what you discovered was uh, this was this book is not your first attempt to write about it. Right. You, yeah. you really have struggled. How do you communicate this right. to other people? And, uh, and I understand the challenge because you identify 20 emotional subsystems in the brain. And um, so given how complex the, the organ of the brain is, I suppose it's not reasonable to expect for it to be really simple. <laughs> right. And uh, so, so I think what you've developed is a very complex view that's hard to communicate. And, um, but I, I think I got it. I mean, going through right. your book, I really got the feel for it. Um, and um it's been my privilege to interview a number of the people that you mentioned drawing upon, like Dan Siegel, uh, Stephen Porges, Jack Panksepp, who unfortunately is no longer with us, Joseph Ledoux, and Richard Davidson. So I had, so I can see where you're, uh, where you're drawing from. Mm -hmm. And you also encountered considerable resistance from other therapists. Let's talk about that. Tell us about that. All right. Well, let me speak to that. Um, the uh, when 
when we first started to present our work, um, we would we thought we and you know, we show video uh, videos of our clinical work and, and talk about it and explain it. Um, and they wouldn't get it. They uh, it was sufficiently different and they could they could see some of the patients struggle to work with their difficulties and they weren't able to recognize what we were doing to facilitate the progress of the session and how things were happening they didn't have a search pattern for, yeah. for what we were reading you we have were, to know what to look for to see exactly. it exactly so, yeah. so so it's important to help them come to see that there's a lot of psychophysiology about what's happening in the non-conscious emotional systems that can then key us into how to respond. And so if, for example, um, you know, I was inviting the patient to feel um, safe and they held their breath. So I adjusted the process to deal with the fact that this person doesn't feel safe. Right. And the, some of the participants would, would not get that at that point. So we've learned how to teach it in a different way where it's it really tease it apart, go much more slowly and help them get to see what are these subtle um, observable empirical pieces of information, the psychophysiological phenomenon that you can watch and pay attention to and say, yeah. okay, what is this? What is that? Yeah. So if the patient suddenly sits up a little bit Oh, hold on to that because it's not going to last. So let's let's see what what just shifted that the patient's now sitting up instead of being slumped in their chair. Right. Something adaptive has happened, mm -hmm. and it's not conscious. Mm -hmm. They're not aware of it, and I can pick up on that. And, and so it took a while to be able to teach our colleagues what to look for because sure. they they weren't trained that way. And and I applaud you for using video in that way and that sort of micro video approach. Uh, which takes courage, I think, to put your work out there in that oh, yes. way. You're, oh, yes, op yes. you're opening yourself up to possible criticism and so on. And I would imagine that initially, maybe before you were showing people videos, there were probably there was probably some criticism or dismissal. You know, these claims are extravagant. You know, how can how can this be? What you're saying, and um, one of the phrases that uh, helps with that, I think, is you talk about mindsets, that people need to have alternate mindsets, that they come into it, mm -hmm. a whole set of, which is natural. Sure. I've learned some system and new information. Once I'm a true believer, which we tend to be, grab hold of a system and hang on to it for dear life. And uh, letting in new learning is challenging, I think, to all of us. Okay. And uh, but you guys were persistent, and um, and you're working with the emotional brain. And one of the things I noticed is you use the word non-conscious and not the word the unconscious, and there must be some reasoning behind that. So. Yeah, there is there is reason behind that. Um, um, the the non-conscious is a more precise term, and unconscious has a, a bunch of different meanings. If you're talking to an analyst, 
they think of an unconscious in a certain way. As a physician, I think of someone who's unconscious in a different way. So it's a more ambiguous term, but non-conscious is the terminology that people like Jack Yank Panksepp works with or Antonio Damasio. These are non-therapists that are neuroscientists. So they're talking about phenomenon, emotional phenomenon that are transpiring in the brainstem, right. the peripheral nervous system. Those will never be conscious, just like you'll never know all the things your body's doing when you write a letter. Right. Micro, you know, coordinations that you do. We'll never know that. We don't need to know that. Right. But there's all this going on underneath the surface. And so helping to realize that most of the emotional systems are non-conscious. I mean, Jacques Panksepp's research was so helpful to us in understanding what we were observing. Yeah. Observing now, oh, now that's why this is different from that. This is going on. And even though neither one of us can understand it completely, we can trust that there's a lot of important, valuable energy and power in those non-conscious systems. Yeah. And, and, and we have learned that uh, uh, by paying attention to these non-conscious systems and the activation of this of this system that it activates and then it goes up and then it comes down and it disappears. But we have learned that it, if we pay attention to the activation of the system and we keep it going a little click more and a little bit more, we will be able to, pay, to help this patient to get out of their depression, to get out of the, for example, this, this woman that I'm working with, postpartum depression, she wasn't able to enjoy her, her baby, which she was very sad that she wasn't able to enjoy her baby. And, uh, and as we are working together, she had a little smile, you know, depressed, but she had a little smile. So I picked up on the smile, that reaction. In the past, I would have thought that smile is anxiety or it's shame or something else. But I picked up the smile and I, I was asking, what's this smile is about? And she was saying, well, it's kind of a little bit funny to see the makings of my mind, isn't it? So I, so here it is. There's a little bit of play here. There's right. a little bit of funny. Can we just stay here in this funny, in this a little bit of pleasure, paying attention to it? One click more, one click more. And by uh, repetition, we know now, and neuroscience tells us that the repetition will recruit more neurons from adjacent other adjacent neurons. And this re recruiting of these more neurons will build this resilient brain system that has been repressed by shame, anxiety, yeah. guilt, etc. So then little by little, she was able to feel more playfulness, more um, um, feeling good about her more about her child and enjoy pleasure feeling thank you feeling pleasure about her child little by little uh, and, and and this was we know now that and she realized that the, at one moment like oh my mother used to be depressed uh -huh, and yeah postpartum depression and she will be angry at me because I was making noises or I was having fun and that realization was very important for her because she was saying I'm doing the same thing to my child and yet knowing that realization still she will realize that that is happening 
but it will not change anything because she will keep on just realizing every time no. or 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 afterwards oh i did it again but but what we are doing here that's why it's a new way of working in a new paradigm it's we are doing physiotherapy for the brain we're sculpting neural networks in the brain to differentiate them from other for the trauma from the past yeah by by staying here experiencing and the sensations of the neurophysiological sensations yeah and that is what happens with our patients and why they keep on growing and changing fast and uh, and finishing therapy like really finishing therapy would you say this is this a short-term approach to therapy or not it it depends on the patient because i know in the book there was one place where you said that it's gone as fast as 20 minutes sometimes a session uh, i don't know if that was a whole treatment let me, the can, I answer that? can I, um, <laughs> we, um, this is a good time to say this. One of the things we've learned in teaching is that when we do live demonstrations where everybody is watching the session unfold, it's much more compelling than even a video because then you're a part of it yeah. and, and, and we can discuss it and tease it apart. But those demos are 20 minutes long and we can all watch how in that 20 minutes, the person who is receiving it has a novel experience of themselves. In 20 minutes, we can see how it works. That, that's not a complete therapy by any means, no. but it shows that this, in a sense, this is short-term because we're, it's a physiological therapy rather than a cognitive therapy. And we're watching, you can see the physiology, how the physiology of the precipitant <laughs> participant yeah. who's receiving this demonstration and she's such an expert at doing these demos live so courageous to do this you never know what you're going to get yeah right there you yeah. Are. working working without a uh without a net without a net you're just getting <laughs> what you can but, yeah. but when you work and you know, when you trust the neurobiology of us as human beings and all these different emotional systems that are all you know highly evolved, you know, when you trust that, you know that, you know, whatever you're going to uncover, you're going to be able to have resources inside your, your patient to work with. So, you know, we've, we've done hundreds of these demonstrations that are 20 minutes long, and you can watch how they work. Certainly, um, a therapy with a patient who's been chronically depressed isn't going to happen that quickly. But just knowing that in each session, you can make a difference. Mm -hmm. And you can see the difference and trust the psychophysiology, even though, you know, the patient may not tell you, oh, that was a great session. You can see and trust the energy, all that healthy, loving energy that you directed to the core of this person. That energy doesn't disappear. I mean, that's what psychodynamics is all about, is that it, it adheres to the, uh, the laws of thermodynamics. This is energy that we're directing to our patients mm. on, on this level, on this level, it's going to have a beneficial impact, even though you can't necessarily see it. Yeah, I, I hear you say directing loving energy. So uh, I'm glad to hear that because people could get the, the impression that this is so technical, mm. you know, oh, no. as to remove that 
element of, of, of love and connection and all of that. And what I'm taking away so far is that you two have been adept at discovering and then in therapy utilizing this sense of the different systems that are there and the ability to kind of do interventions which will move a person appropriately yeah. out of one system which might lead to a downward spiral into another system where they can access optimism hope of uh, past successes etc mm -hmm. and you know what is beautiful about doing this therapy is that we we get to say caring out loud we get to say i care for you out oh. loud uh -huh. it's something that you don't say that before right and we get to be here with shiny eyes and pay attention in the connection of the relationship all the time uh and we sit very close together we see I'm, I'm feeling it right now <laughs> from you the shiny eyes <laughs> exactly the, yeah. the shiny eyes it comes because there is caring and yeah. and playfulness and excitement yeah. about being here in the relationship oh yeah and he we do the same thing and we have taught our therapists to stay here with shiny eyes in the connection of the relationship and to say out loud the caring feelings yeah that are happening at this moment yeah and clearly it, you can feel the difference i mean you were just feeling it yourself a moment sure. ago and and making that energetic focus to stay really present and connected together um and build that connection and trust that even if they're defensive and resistant there's a part of them that really does want to connect with us so keeping that attachment relationship developing a therapeutic attachment relationship and, and knowing that it will activate these very basic emotional systems from infancy of feeling safe, feeling care, feeling connected, being playful, and accessing those resources that are all in the brainstem. They're very, very powerful emotional systems. And being in this attachment relationship with our patients will activate those and just know that they will activate them. You, uh, you use a couple of words there that I'd like to key in on. One is, uh, you said resistant. What is your view of the classical idea of resistance? It's, it's curious because we, we have different patients. <laughs> um, when, I, when, when one of my psychiatrist friends referred me some of some, some patient, and and then I get I, I asked the patient if we can if my psychiatrist fr friend can see the the video, my my friend will say he always will say this is a different patient, this is not <laughs> the same patient that I worked with, yeah, right? And it is because we are working differently with the patient. Yeah, yeah. So we end up not not having too much resistance in the way of that because we pay more attention to the capacities that are happening at this moment that and that will not activate too much resistance what do you say about that well i think it's helpful to our understanding of the resistance is that you know emotional learning uh, trauma and so forth 
has caused uh, maybe an overreaction of this, the shame brain system or the fear brain system or the guilt brain system. And they're stuck there and it, you know, they can be really stuck. And, and that's how the resistance might present itself is this chronic depression or this standoffishness or whatever it might be. And just to understand, well, that's, that's an emotional learning. And what we do to deal with it is to go underneath it and recognizing that the, the emotional learning is in the basal nuclei, uh, in the amygdala, in the hippocampus, that's where that emotional learning has taken place. We want to work sort of underneath that and the brainstem at the bottom of the iceberg, working with the brainstem and the capacity for care and connection and play and seeking. And these are these are Panksepp's terms to, to describe and, and help access each of those different systems. And it's important to think that they're each different system. So if you've got each of them going together in parallel, then things change in the past for this patient. You know their ability to um, let's say be play like the, the Beatrice's patient she mentioned a moment ago the play that might have come up with her little child got uh, short-circuited by her feeling of shame and fear so she couldn't continue to play and so it was a short circuit it's like things were were wired in in series so it's like that circuit you know the, the circuit breaker popped and she couldn't play anymore but if we accept that that's a reality and say, okay, let's build parallel processing. Let's have other systems going. So even though we can't undo the fear and shame about what happened in the past, we can have all these other systems operating in the present that will override the past. What are the systems? Play, connection. Play, connection, safe, care, care safe. you know, uh, seeking, uh, assertive, these brainstem systems that can then override the traumatic resistance or, you know, shame learning right. that would otherwise cause this person to, you know, to shut down or withdraw or to shut you out. And that's why the therapy becomes faster. Yeah, uh, because you're have... you're working with some precision, right? That's right. A lot yeah. of precision. A lot of precision. It's interesting that that you talk about working in the brainstem because it just so happens that my last guest last week had written a book about eight key uh, centers in the brain mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and had stories about each of those centers, but kind of admitted that as we got into the thalamus kind of said, well, don't know so much about the brainstem. That's, there's a lot of research that needs to be done there still, uh, which is interesting because you, you seem very uh, confident about that you're accessing uh, that, what would be called ancient material. Right, yeah. Genetically. yeah. I'd love to be able to discuss this with Jak Banksep. I'm sorry he's no longer with us because I think he'd find the way we've applied his basic neuroscience research with mammals and these different emotional systems, I think he'd be very excited by what we've done with it. Oh, I'm sure he would be. Um, and, you know, I was tempted to, to, well, I will ask you about your work with trauma, but I'm remembering a case in the book 
and there are cases that you discuss in the book and i want our viewers and listeners to know that there, you'll find that kind of material in the book and you talk because in my mind one place i go is well what about what about the really dark stuff are you avoiding the really dark stuff isn't isn't there a, a basic psycho, psychotherapeutic knowledge that people have to go there into the dark places uh, to get better and you can respond to that but i'm thinking of a case that sort of comes to mind as an answer to that that you told about a, a woman who was raped uh, beatrice that you worked with i think and um and and somehow you got her to a place where she well you tell the story <laughs> you know i i think i referred to a patient with rape rather than, ah, than okay. her okay um anyway so this this woman had been in therapy for several years with another therapist after the rape to try to work it through and had not had a lot of success and so she moved to another community and, and ended up seeing me so she had you know identified the rape as something that was of some concern and i said okay i i, I get that history i want to see what i can do to develop a healthy attachment and connection with this woman to work with her relationship with me and then her relationship with herself and we'll see what happens about the rape um and she clearly had some issues about developing connection and closeness um, that ended up being much earlier than the rape. It, it came from her early childhood. And as we worked through those feelings, the rape stopped being an issue. Um, and in a number of sessions, like maybe three or four sessions, I said, how are we doing? You know, how's this going? And she said, this is so totally different. At the end of my previous therapy, we'd spend all this time talking about the rape and I'd feel worse at the end of the session. Yeah. Now, every time we come in, I feel something new and, and hopeful about myself. Um, so yes, there's all this trauma mm -hmm. and we focus on it somewhat, but it's mostly recognizing that if we go with the underlying resources, that the nervous system will update that traumatic memory. You know, we are providing a form of neuroplasticity called emotional memory reconsolidation. Yes. Yeah. So we're, we're providing that, you know, constantly in the sessions. And so the, the healthy attachment that they're building with themselves and with us is updating the traumatic abuse that they may have suffered with their parents because they're having a new experience. And that can be painful. Um, we, we sometimes refer to our therapy as like going to see a physiotherapist where the, the resistance is like a frozen joint. And we're in asking this patient to start moving muscles and nerves in ways that they could never do before. And that's uncomfortable. It can be disorienting, it can be painful. And sometimes there's a release of grief or shame that can be quite uncomfortable for the patient and even for the therapist. And yet recognizing the trauma and the pain is not in the present, it's being released from the past. And so trusting that and realize, okay, this is this is part of the healing process. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, I think in the stories, you've kind of illustrated something that I was impressed by in the book, which is uh, 
the go the other way, and I didn't know whether to call that a technique or a mindset. I think it's kind of a mindset. Go the it other way. Mindset. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah. You, so, you speak to that because that's your phrase. That's my phrase. You develop that with your uh -huh. students. Right. Um, well, I, I was taught that anxiety, let's pay attention to the anxiety. Um, shame, let's pay attention to the shame. And let's, uh, let's work with all that kind of stuff. Right, right. Reading uh, neuroscience, I realized that uh, what you pay attention to, you sending blood to those synapses. So paying attention to the anxiety, we're reinforcing the synapses. Mm -hmm. We're sending blood to the synapses. So mm -hmm. and uh, so then I realized, like, no, we're doing it. We're doing it wrong. Let's go the other way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so my patient is feeling. Uh, if I ask my patient, well, what are your sensations right now? And my patient will say, I have the throat is it's closing on me. My heart is pounding. Tension in the chest. And so, uh, so then I say, well, tell me, tell me what, what, what is happening right now inside of you? I'm really anxious. Are you aware that you are being anxious? And yes, I'm aware. So you are in awareness of yourself. And awareness is very important that you are aware of the, of the anxiety and not being in the anxiety. And then suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, I'm aware and not being in the anxiety. I feel the anxiety, but I'm, the anxiety is not taking over me. Yeah. So, oh, and you being aware. And so can we stay here in the sensations of awareness and paying attention to you in this connection with you? And as we are going the other way of being aware of themselves, they're realizing that anxiety is over here. And they're able to just grow the awareness, grow the sensation of being stronger inside of themselves and being able to um, feel better about yeah. them. I, I'm, th I'm thinking. Yeah, uh, yeah, I have more one thing. <laughs> we all want to talk about it. Yeah, Go ahead. I, no, no, no. I have more one thing. I one more, one thing more. Okay. Um, <laughs> Another, another approach when the patient is feeling that anxiety as part of going the other way is saying, what's happening here? What are you experiencing right now together with us? And it's often, oh, I'm feeling your care, I'm feeling your connection, and that's causing this, or that's causing my anxiety. They're recognizing that the closeness or the care or the connection is triggering fear, triggering shame, triggering unworthiness, and then those two different phenomenon can be differentiated. We're connecting together and it triggers shame or anxiety. So the awareness is one approach, working in the attachment relationship is another approach, is a way of going the other way. I, I think there are other therapies that have uh, tapped into some of the things that you're talking about, uh, but, but not with the same precision of awareness of why it was working or how it was working. Uh, one thing that was coming to mind was the work of Milton Erickson, the famous mm -hmm. hypnotherapist. And I see you nodding your head, so you're familiar with him. Mm -hmm. And uh, people would come in with a complaint, but he would 
start telling a story that would totally divert them from the thing that they came in with and somehow they would get better uh, <laughs> and i don't i'm sure he could not have articulated it in the way that you guys are able to articulate it and i'm thinking of other approaches that as a young therapist i was always looking for you know what's the latest thing and 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 um was interested in the notion that maybe you didn't have to go into the deep darkness uh, to get better and and psychosynthesis seemed to be an approach that at a symbolic level get people working in imagination mm -hmm. and, and that they could go to evoke a, a strong sense of their spirit and potential and all of that so uh, so i think that everything that you're saying in terms of the kinds of experiences that therapists have had uh, resonates and makes sense, you know, can, I think pieces of what you're saying, oh, yes, I've heard this piece over here, or, or this piece over there. But again, I come back to the strength of your integration, and you're rooting mm -hmm. it in brain processes. And mm -hmm. so I, I think that's just and so science. And what? Neuroscience. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anchoring it in neuroscience, but also using your own humanity mm. in that. Our own relationship. Yeah. An yeah. attachment. Yeah. Um, and and you know what is fantastic is that it, we're we're able to teach it to our our um, students, and and it's reproducible. It's yeah. not just because I am this or he is that, or yeah. it's reproducible. Each of our our students, they're able to not have a, a waiting list that it's closed. They're able to move through their therapies, and and they are enjoying their therapies. Do they? they uh, do your students have an aha experience? It sounds like they might. Every time. Every wow. time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, there, there must be this experience of delight, you know, of, yes, at exactly. last, <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Yes, exactly. exactly. There's there's a number of them who uh, are very senior therapists and said that, that have been so fascinated by what they've learned from working with us is they don't want to retire. They said, I, I used to think that I was going to retire at this point, but I'm enjoying my work so much more than I used to. I don't feel depleted at the end of the day. Right. I really enjoy what I'm doing. So I'm going to keep doing it because there's all these new things to learn. Um, so that, well, that being said, that all of that being said, I imagine we have therapists in the audience who might be saying, hmm, I wonder how I could uh, get some training in this. So here's your chance to do an advertisement. <laughs> well, the um, several things, and, and you add anything you want as we go. Uh, certainly, now that the book is out, to, to pick it up, because it is, is designed to not just be a text, it's designed to help the reader walk, work through actual um, transcripts that also include the psychophysiology, where you can get a sense of what it feels like. And, um, you know, our uh, 
even our editor, when he would read the transcript, it would bring tears to his eyes because he could feel, have a felt sense of what was transpiring yeah. um, in, in these transcripts. So that the book is really helpful. And yet it needs to be read slowly, you know, just a few pages at a time because there's a lot there. The, uh, that's true. Let, yeah. it, let it sink in and then um, go out and practice with it. And then go back and read some more or go back and read those pages again because you'll see them differently. So that's that's not available to obviously a wide audience. We also have, um, we've been doing uh, weekend trainings where we'll meet with a group of 30 therapists for a couple of days and it's a very experiential learning. So we've had those video recorded for a number of years. And so you could get an online training. And again, if, you, if one of the, one of the listeners you know, gets that online training to go slowly, um, to don't just run through it like you might with some other presentation, to go slowly and pick it up and then go back and look at it again. Because there's, again, there's a lot of experiential learning taking place. It's not, not so much didactic, yeah. it's mostly experiential um, and getting a felt sense in your own body. I mean, that was that's one of the instructions we give to all of our participants is let yourself be moved. You may not like what you see. It may make you uncomfortable. It may make you uh, say, I don't get it or whatever, but listen to that because it's touching you. And we wanna help the, the reader or the participants be moved and learn from, their, from the inside out. Yeah. Their strengths and their constraints. We- Go ahead. What about this COVID, by the way? Um, I'm hearing that you've got a lot of online resources and um, has has COVID limited your teaching possibilities or you know, how has it impacted your work? That, that's a very good question. Uh, we, we found out that uh, we are able to work with online training first, but also do, doing the Zoom in the therapy, we are able to also change uh, and work really deeply through Zoom. Although it's a cold media, if we are connected together and we get closer mm -hmm. into, the, yeah. uh, into the camera mm -hmm. and work with our hands and work with the relationship, yeah. we, we are able to do Zoom and therapy goes very well. Wow. Um, one of the important things, if, if a therapist wants to learn more about this, read the book for sure. Um, watch the, the, the training courses that we have. We also give small training courses once a month. And very important to try one, at least one session via Zoom or via Zoom if it's necessary, but one therapy session. So then they can feel this kind of therapy, this new yeah. uh, paradigm that we could say in their own feelings, in their own bodies, at well, least just one. Where, where is the website where people can find these resources and ways to be in touch with you? It's called Complex Integration M. B S. What's the MBS stand for? 
multiple brain system. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but but they can just Google my name, Beatrice Sheldon, B-E-A-T-R-I-Z Sheldon, yeah. or Terry. Albert. 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 <laughs> Terry says Albert Sheldon. Just to Google the name Albert Sheldon, they'll uh -huh. arrive to the to the website. Okay. And um, there's one other thing I was going to ask you about, which is the role of homework and practice. Go ahead. <laughs> I think Terry, Terry, you you actually kind of touched on that when you were saying that uh, uh, it takes. It's not just going to big issues aren't going to clear up in just one session. And and these um, so we're very, very much aware of that. So at the end of our sessions, every session, we spend some time looking at what was what was unique, what was different, what was a felt sense that was special today. And so for the next 15 minutes, work with that feeling, hold on to that, go for a walk because physical exercise releases dopamine, which will help them hold on to that emotional learning to the they, newness that they had, and then invite them to uh, refresh it that night before they go to sleep to refresh that neural circuit so that it, it gets reinforced again and again and again, because new learning often will be deleted when we're asleep. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of repetition. We add play and curiosity because those two emotional systems release a lot of dopamine and they will also facilitate the holding on to the learning. So that's why it's important this is this learning is mostly experiential so that at last as you could have a great insight but that's going to have a limited impact but if they have a new visceral experience of themselves and and choose to exercise it again between sessions it'll be that much stronger and when they come in for the next session they're in a new place they're a different person and we go from there wow wow well, all of this truly is exciting, I must say. And um, so Beatrice, Beatrice and Terry Sheldon or Albert Sheldon, I want to thank you two for being my guests today on Shrinkwrap Radio. Thank you for having us. My pleasure. It's been a pleasure to meet yeah. with you. After turning off the recorder, I jokingly referred to my husband and wife guests, Beatrice and Albert, or Terry, Sheldon, as the dynamic duo. In my mind, that moniker really fits them. They've not so much invented a new psychotherapy as having pulled off an amazing and original integration of neuroscience findings by other brain scientists slash therapists. That having been said, they do assert themselves as innovators, as they write in their book, Our research is a creative and systematic work that we undertook to increase our knowledge of the inner workings of the non-conscious emotional processing of the human brain-mind. Through this work, we have established new facts, solved new and existing clinical problems, and developed new, effective, efficient, and reproducible psychotherapeutic treatments. Among their major sources of inspiration, they cite 
Dan Siegel, Stephen Porges, Jack Panksepp, Joseph Ledoux, and Richard Davidson, all of whom I'm proud to say I've interviewed here on Shrinkwrap Radio. In fact, between the huge number of interviews I've conducted and my longevity in the field, I'm in an ideal position to understand and appreciate their contribution. That's saying something, given the complexity of the model they've developed and set forth in their book, Complex Integration of Multiple Brain Systems in Therapy. And complex it is. In fact, they recommend that therapists who wish to understand their approach to therapy read the book in small chunks. They advise this because the ideas they put forth may conflict with the internal models the reader may already have and may feel married to. They advise trying on the ideas and sitting with them and maybe going over them more than once. As they write, quote, This book contains many new or unfamiliar concepts, perspectives, and types of knowledge. Much of the knowledge in this book may be inconsistent or incongruent with your intuition, experience, or training. Some of what you will learn is likely to be disorienting to your way of seeing the minds of others or your own. It certainly is disconcerting for our patients and trainees alike. That's a good thing, for it can stir up your curiosity. Your skepticism and doubt are welcome as they invite all of us to pay more attention. Novelty is where we learn the most. Close quote. The therapeutic approach they are advocating is very experiential. The challenge for them has been to put their experiential approach into writing. There is experiencing and there is writing, and these are two very different things. On top of this is the challenge of comprehending and integrating the cognitive material underlying their work. As they write, quote, It has been very challenging for two non-writing clinicians to put down in words what we have discovered, practiced, and taught experientially. A contrasting therapeutic paradigm is difficult to describe. Close quote. No wonder they've been driven to create lots of video demonstrations as well as a library of videos with actual patients. Why have they worked so long and hard to develop this new model, which they abbreviate with the acronym SIMBS? C-I-M-B-S. They speak to that when they write, quote, We believe others are curious about our successful, unanticipated, and sometimes anomalous results. Close quote. Elsewhere, they go on to say, quote, We have developed this brain systems therapeutic paradigm out of our desire to have a deeper understanding of the inner workings of the brain-mind a wider range of treatment options, and the ability to be more effective and efficient with our patients. We have introduced you to the 20 emotional brain systems that we have found substantiated by the most recent neurobiological and clinical evidence. Close quote. Finally, they state their bottom line motivation, saying, quote, we hope to inspire others to experiment with new frames of mind, perspectives, 
and interventions, we have found significant benefit in our practices and in the practices of our trainees. Our purpose is to intrigue, challenge, and invite new learning for each reader. Our hope is to inspire therapists to develop new practices to become increasingly expert and competent in their work. Once again, the title of their groundbreaking book is Complex Integration of Multiple Brain Systems in Therapy by Beatrice and Albert Sheldon. You can find out more about their workshops, trainings, videos, and more by going to their website at complexintegrationmbs.com. Hi guys, my name is Tony. I'm from Melbourne, Australia. And I just signed up to become a monthly donator to Shrink Rap Radio. And I did this because I love this podcast series. It gives me so much every single time I listen to these episodes. And I just wanted to give something back. I think it's important that when you find something that's that's pure of heart and um, honest in its intent and generous in its spirit, that you get behind and support it to ensure that it continues. And that's what I've done. And I encourage you all to do the same. Get on board, donate, put your hands in your pockets, stand up. It feels good. It's important. Thanks. Thank you, Tony, there in Australia, for telling the world why you donate to Shrinkwrap Radio. And listener donations are essential to keep the lights on and my energy pumping. Among the regular monthly donations, we have a new one-time donor, Kelsey Lesseur, whose email name is Bespectacled Trout. Thank you, Kelsey. That cleverness really put a smile on my face. Once again, it's time to shrink-wrap it up. Thanks to today's guests, husband and wife team Beatrice Sheldon, M.A., and Albert Sheldon, M.D., for discussing their work and book on complex integration of multiple brain systems in therapy. Next week, my guests will be my longtime digital friends, Richard Hill and Matthew Dalitz, discussing their book, the Practitioner's Guide to the Science of Psychotherapy. It's sure to be a rich discussion, and I hope you'll join us. So until then, this is Dr. Dave reminding you to be kind to yourselves and others. You've been shrink-wrapped by Dr. Dave. All the psychology you need to know, and just enough to make you dangerous.